And all along, we were trying to make as much a moral argument as a legal one and a business one. I grew up in a very nerdy, geeky household, if you couldn't already tell, um, where <laughs> my brothers listen. That's kind of household to have. Yes, exactly. I think so. Welcome. This is the fifth, sixth. Martin, where are we now in episode? Uh, don't ask me. I've lost all track of pretty much everything. We have so many episodes. We we lost uh, count. Um, so <laughs> this is this is the next episode of Right Rings. Um, <laughs> the latest. Yes, the latest and uh, and the greatest actually. Um, uh, but more on that in a minute. Um, this is a podcast uh, from writers to writers and to to whatever creative people um, uh, because we discuss topics that may interest you or be relevant to your word. My name is Greg. And I'm Martin. And uh, we have a guest. We have our first our guest. Fun. Yes. Um, uh, welcome, Heather. Um, I'm trying not to butcher your uh, uh, last name. Is it Lower? Yep, pretty close. Yep, lover. Uh, lover. Okay. If you if you are a regular um, follower of right of the Right Wings podcast, and if you are not, why not? Um, it, you know that uh, in our last episode, we uh, we talked about a very particular um, issue um, with fandom and with Harry Potter fandom uh, in particular. Um, and, uh, Heather has a, has a very, very inside perspective, um, because it happened before what's happening now. And, uh, and thankfully last time, um, the fans won. And, um, before we get to that, I, I just want, uh, want to thank Heather for, for coming on the show and, uh, introduce yourself. Who are you? What do you do? And uh, how did you get into into Potter War? And how does uh, it feel to be our very first guest? <laughs> it's such an honor. Thank you. Yep. Thanks for having me. Happy to be here. Um, I wish it was under better circumstances. Yeah. So um, <laughs> my name is Heather Laver. Um, I am actually a writer as well and a web developer. Um, and my background in Harry Potter fandom started after the very first book came out. Um, growing up, I always wanted to be a journalist. I wanted to be a writer. And I've always been super passionate about both reading and writing and believing that the combination of the two gives children the opportunity to go on to learn and accomplish anything they want. So when Absolutely. the Harry Potter book came out, I was amazed to see that all of my friends who previously hated reading were suddenly head over heels in love with the book and couldn't get enough of reading the books, finding other ones that are similar, and suddenly became lifelong readers. And I thought there's got to be a way to transform that newfound love of reading into an equal love of writing. So early on, before Scholastic did any kind of marketing, long before Warner Brothers got their hands on it, I started a website called The Daily Prophet, where kids could become columnists writing for a fake newspaper, pretending as if the Harry Potter world were real. And then coming up with imaginative columns about the goings on in the wizarding world. So, so sort of uh, kind of like a, an interactive fan fiction sort of thing almost. Yes. yes. So it was okay. fan fiction is journalism in a sense where I felt that 
the journalistic format was much more inviting for a first-time young writer because it's not as intimidating as trying to create a whole novel and you don't have to create your own Hogwarts or Middle-earth of your own. You have an established readership of other Harry Potter fans and a very short format to play with. So I ended up using that format to tutor over the five-year span of it, somewhere between 400, 450 writers, um, some kids, some adults, and tutored all of them in English and creative writing through that format. That's awesome. It that is incredibly awesome. It was a lot of fun. Um, for a while there, uh, The Daily Prophet was the second most popular Harry Potter fan site on the internet. Um, wow. a, a lot of the kids that I worked with ended up getting into real-life journalism, and we ended up reporting a lot on um, Warner Brothers' acquisition of Harry Potter, the development of the film. We broke uh, news. We were the first to report that Maggie Smith and Robbie Coltrane got uh, cast in the film. So we were quite active back then, um, which was a lot of fun. Coming around to Potterwar now, a lot of the kids I tutored also ran uh, very small, fun Harry Potter fan sites that were nothing more than I love Harry Potter, here's why, and you should too. And one day, one of my most active columnists, a girl named Lindsay, who was 12, she ran a website called besthogwarts.com. She came to me in tears and said that she had gotten a nasty letter in the mail from Warner Brothers that put her, like, left her in tears. It was so nasty. It literally said that her hero, J.K. Rowling, was personally upset with her. Which, to me, shows that they knew they were writing to children, because Mm -hmm. no attorney's going to say that to an adult. No. And what 12-year-old wants to hear that the person they idolize most in the world is upset with them? It's it's soul-crushing. And it just ticked me off. I was so mad. Um, I tried to calm down my friend, and then... After I got her calmed down, I ended up talking to a girl named Christy Chan who lived in Singapore and ran another really popular large Harry Potter site. And I ranted and ranted to her, and she was very nice and calmed me down. And then, <laughs> and then she said, oh, sweetie, this has been going on for six months. And she told Jesus. me that Harry Potter fans, typically in um, small U.S. towns, in a smattering of countries across Eastern Europe and small countries in Southeast Asia, we're all getting these letters from Warner Brothers. And I found it maddening and fascinating that they were going after small sites first, that I think they were kind of testing the waters to see what they could get away with. And yeah, that's that's just uh, that 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 was the detail that kind of uh, jumped at me that it wasn't you know the large fan sites it was yeah. like small, horrible. Yeah, like they didn't come after me. They didn't come after Christy. They didn't come after any of the big ones. It was all just little kids, obviously little kids, making really cute little sites. Most of them didn't even use official pictures. It was just text on an animated background back in the nineties, and. It was so basic, but that's who they went after. So basically, they were just going after the easy targets, the ones that they... Yes, exactly. Hello? Hello? Oh, yeah, there she is. Can you hear us now? That's not hopeful. Yeah. Shoot, I'm still not hearing anything. (laughs) We can hear you fine. That's so weird. 
there's no point telling her that because she can't hear us. Yeah, I'm 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 typing to her at the same time. On, um, I I I know it's you know not helpful. Hello. Hello. Yeah. Hello. Hello. I can hear you now. <laughs> oh wow! Okay, great. Can you hear both of us? Yes. Okay. Sorry about that. No worries. It's all right. Um. Yeah. Where were we? <laughs> I kind of lost track. Oh yeah, we were talking about yeah that uh, that they went after uh, the kids, the the the, right. the small sites, not the big ones. Uh, right. Yeah. yeah. For a minute there, I thought it was my comment that killed everything. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that that usually happens to me. I I make a comment and the entire conversation shuts down. <laughs> <laughs> it wasn't you, I swear. <laughs> But probably not literally. I mean, you know, it doesn't disrupt radio waves or whatever <laughs> maybe my maybe my inanity has just gotten that bad that it's now starting to affect <laughs> technological items <laughs> funny okay so do you want me to keep going yes yes please. by all means <laughs> okay <laughs> christy told me about a girl in england who was actually fighting back she had gotten one of these nasty letters and Thankfully, I believe her family knew a good solicitor, and uh, his name was Matthew Rippon, and he decided to take up the case for free. So they responded. They refused to back down, and Warner actually was taking them to court over this 14-year-old girl's website. And throughout all of this, they had gotten the attention of a London City Councilman by the name of Alistair Alexander, who had a good amount of experience fighting these kinds of cases before where they were morally correct in fighting back against a company but maybe on slightly gray legal ground and i thought as a 16 year old that no one was going to take me seriously if i tried to fight this on my own so i had the belief that i needed someone who was an adult who was more serious that maybe warner brothers would actually respond to rather than just you know, another kid speaking up. So I found Alistair's website. He had set up a site called potterwar.org.uk. And the whole point of it was simply to spread the word about what was happening to this girl in Ipswich, Clarefield, who was going to court with Warner. And he spent a couple quid setting up the site and then just kind of forgot about it. I found his website and thought, aha, here's someone serious and a grown up that Warner Brothers will pay attention to. I need his help. So I sent him this ridiculous email full of like a million different military references to try and convince him, you know, <laughs> that I was serious about this, <laughs> that I could take this on and it would be okay. And I wasn't just another kid, you know, and it was probably the most ridiculous email I've ever sent. He wrote back right away and said, that's the funniest email I've ever heard. What can we do? Let's do this. And I, I loved that. So I, I wrote this whole manifesto again, trying to be very serious and grown up. And came up with a whole strategy to hit them where it would hurt the most, right in the wallet. And again, he just thought it was funny. And so we started this transatlantic partnership to fight back against Warner Brothers. Um, I set up a website called The Defense Against the Dark Arts. Um, I should have listened to Alistair and go with Potter War. It was a much better name. Um, and eventually the campaign morphed into that name. And we launched the boycott. We came up with press releases. And thankfully, we caught the attention of Elizabeth Weiss, a writer for USA Today. 
and the boycott officially launched on February 22nd, 2001 with her article. It had a teaser on the very front page of the newspaper and a full page spread on the life, the life section. And that certainly caught Warner Brothers' attention. Hello? Yep. Okay, for a minute, I was losing both of you. Um, I, I, I was kind of uh, hearing you kind of spotty, but uh, other than that... Yep. Okay, there we go. So you were, you were saying something uh, that we couldn't hear? Heather? Martin. Me? <laughs> <laughs> I, don't, I, don't, I don't think I was saying something. Um, well, Not you... I remember anyway. Oh, okay, okay. This, this 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 is kind of turning into an SNL skit of of uh, cell service in the nineties. Can you hear me now? How about now? I may have made just some kind of passing comment of agreement or something. I don't know. I've, I've got no idea what's going on. I think all I said was that I, I was I was just losing both of you there. Okay. Okay. So should I keep going? Yes. Yes. Please do. Okay. So after that story published in USA Today, my phone and email blew up. We started getting internet interview requests from almost every major newspaper. Uh, uh, several local TV crews came over and Alistair and I both made the decision running the campaign together that I would be the spokesperson. Because as he said, uh, a 16 year old is much more sympathetic than an older middle-aged British guy who everyone's going to wonder why he's hanging out with a bunch of kids. Um, <laughs> At that point. Yeah, I thought so. So I suddenly found myself 16 years old in front of a bunch of cameras and had never dealt with that before. And it, it just, it blew up overnight. And it was perfect timing in the sense that news about the new movie was coming out. Um, another book was coming out. So every news outlet was kind of Harry Potter hungry to get any kind of news they could and make any kind of splash. So we took advantage of perfect timing. And who doesn't love, you know, a awful story about a giant corporation going after a bunch of kids, right? Yes. So <laughs> total David and Goliath story. So our main plan, thinking at that point, was a bunch of fans, that J.K. Rowling was okay, but Warner Brothers was bad. So we started the boycott with the sense that we were not boycotting the books. We were only boycotting the merchandise that had just started coming out, and none of us were going to buy movie tickets. And that, we thought, would be a big enough scare, and it certainly got Warner Brothers' attention. But they didn't back down for a very long time. They continued to take Clarefield to court. They kept coming after fans all the while trying to play nice in the media. At one point, I ended up on MSNBC's uh, Hardball with Chris Matthews, where we had to do a debate between me at 16 years old and Warner Brothers Senior Vice President of Family Entertainment, Diane Nelson. And I had to debate her live on television via satellite. Wow. And they kept saying, oh, we didn't realize we were threatening, threatening children. We never intended that. Um, using every kind of PR apology they could think of, all while continuing to sue Claire Field and not backing down on any of the threats they already issued. Eventually, after six months of this, I found out from an internal source that we had cost Warner Brothers 
over fourteen million dollars. I don't know the exact figure, but it was well over a good amount. It was also the first time in Hollywood history where a studio had to create a merchandise buyback program because so many stores had pre-purchased Harry Potter merchandise. It got delivered and then they couldn't sell it. And they had so many store owners so angry that they had to then buy it back. (laughs) So we put a big enough dent in them that eventually they realized they needed to relent. And all along, we were trying to make as much a moral argument as a legal one and a business one. I grew up in a very nerdy, geeky household, if you couldn't already tell, um, where (laughs) my brothers listened. Best kind of household to have. Yes, exactly. I think so. Um, I grew up listening to Weird Al Yankovic, and I was very familiar with the way he approached fair use law as far as parody goes. So I was raised around this basic understanding of what fair use is and isn't, where parody comes into it. So not only was I trying to make the case to Warner Brothers that I believe fan fiction is legally protected, but it's also better business sense because Harry Potter is very unique in that it did not have any advertising behind it when it first started. It started entirely due to word of mouth and the very fans they were threatening. How can they expect to build a franchise if they bite the hand that feeds them? or sue the hand into oblivion. And (laughs) the franchise just won't live if you go after your most ardent supporters. And eventually Warner Brothers seemed to get that. Um, I know after Potter War, uh, about a year or two later, I actually was invited to go to Warner Brothers and I got to tour the studio. And I met a very nice man named Mark Brandon who became the head of their legal team precisely because he was the only lawyer at Warner Brothers during the boycott who understood where we were coming from and what our next move would be. He told me that every week they would have meetings called what's Heather going to do next? (laughs) And and try to predict our next PR move or legal argument. And he said it was hilarious. He was fresh out of law school and he would see all these high powered Hollywood attorneys trying to figure out the mind of 16 and 14 year old Harry Potter fans. And none of them could do it. And he kept raising his hand going, I think I know what they're going to do. But he was fresh out of law school and no one listened. So after Potter War, they fired those high-powered attorneys. He got the job. And he said in the end, they felt as a company that it was an expensive lesson. It was a painful lesson. But it set them up for success and set them up a decade ahead of every other Hollywood studio. And understanding... The future of the internet, getting a head a head start on understanding legal rights for internet distribution of properties, and creating an atmosphere of fan involvement rather than fan antagonism, and that most of the time in Hollywood, creators want to completely control everything, and fan participation threatens that from a legal and you know ownership perspective. So I thought everything turned out well after Potter War. I mean, they had an attorney there who understood what we wanted understood the benefit to the company, understood the legalities of it and how to make it all work. The problem is that uh, the uh, the lesson is clearly not learned properly if it has to be taught twice. And obviously they, they've gone and gone back around to their their old tactics. And Exactly. They've completely forgotten everything that, that went on with yep. with you and all these other, uh, other kids as they were at the time going through 
all this trying to fight for what you were passionate about. And it's, it's just ridiculous that they'd go through the same old thing all over again. Yeah. And I can't think it's too much of a coincidence that this is coming up again now that Mark Brandon no longer works there. Um, <laughs> I heard from an internal source that Diane Nelson no longer works there as of just a few months ago. So they're losing the people who were there internally during this fight. And I think yeah. over the last... Oh my gosh, it's been almost 20 years now. I feel old. Um, over the last <laughs> over the last 15, 20 years, I think not only has Warner Brothers forgotten it, but I think this is a chapter of Harry Potter fandom that a lot of people have forgotten about. And they're stumbling over the same problems again, again with a corporate overreach and the sense of ownership. And I kind of wonder if... Like, I don't think Pottermore would have happened or been allowed to happen if Potter War hadn't happened. When you look at historically the first websites that Warner Brothers set up, it was very much, we create content, you absorb it. Not we create content and you read content and you participate in it. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah, so yeah, absolutely. I think the Warner Brothers has, and J.K. Rowling have kind of morphed that and fans have taken that participation angle for granted a little bit. It's allowed Warner Brothers to slowly, bit by bit, move back to a point of control rather than participation and convergence culture kind of behavior. And I hope that Harry Potter fans realize that they can stand up, they can say, wait, this isn't right, and demand that they have the same amount of respect from J.K. Rowling and Warner Brothers as they had after Potter War. That they are no, they absolutely enough. should do that. Yes, they are powerful enough. We give them... The franchise has its power because of us. It would <sighs> Harry Potter would not be what it is now if fans didn't create those sites and didn't have those festivals and didn't tell each other, I love Harry Potter and you should too. It simply would have been just another book from Scholastic if it weren't for us a heart back then that J.K. Rowling not only didn't speak up for us, but in some cases actively spoke against us. Um, I lost my Harry Potter fandom precisely because of that and some things that happened behind the scenes. And so I'm not shocked that she's not standing up for fans now, but it still feels like a knife in the gut to not have support from her when fans are yet again her fans, her fans who gave her everything she has now uh-huh. are being threatened again and it's going to be up to us again to protect the rights that I believe are inherently ours. Exactly. Absolutely. So what I find interesting is that uh, first of all, like huge huge congratulations and and i think like i i'm still trying to wrap my head around the the 14 million dollars figure <laughs> that's, yeah. that's yeah. just uh, that is a hell of an achievement um it, it, in order to actually uh, have that kind of effect on uh, a, a massive corporation like Warner Brothers, the, it, it truly shows the, the, the drive and the passion that uh, you and all those others had 
uh, to to fight for um, the, the rights that were that, as you say, you in, you inherently believed you had. Um, it's it's testament to uh, what people do when they don't let their passions be crushed. Yeah, I think it's a testament to the power of Harry Potter fandom and the communities that we built together. That it was always about more than just the books, and always more than just the movies. That what made Harry Potter fandom special was that we all came around something that we all loved and we built something more out of it. I mean, look at um, the Harry Potter Alliance or the Quidditch World Cup and everything we've built and all of the good we do when we get together based on media that we all love. That power is transformative, but it's only going to continue to happen if we stand up against Warner Brothers and anyone who would seek to control it or prevent that kind of participation from happening in the first place. But we've proven time and again, we are a powerful fan base that can do a lot, but we need to stand up for ourselves and prevent this kind of stuff from happening time and again in order to continue to have those communities that we've built. Greg and I um, mentioned this last time in that it is so unbelievably baffling that, that these massive corporations are well Warner Brothers specifically, uh, in, this, uh, in this particular case, would would act in this fashion when uh, the the passion of the fans it draws other people into the fandom because obviously when people are so passionate about something it makes people stop and go they're so passionate about this I want to find out more and then they find out more they get involved themselves it grows the brand it grows the mm -hmm. the, the fan base so it would create more money going into Warner Brothers if they would actually support these these all these these fan based uh, events and things and it's just so baffling that they st stand in opposition to that I, mean, I don't get it yeah i i can see it even back in potter where i could understand the legal reasoning by behind why they sent the letters out um, and i can see the legal reasoning for why they're threatening the festivals now in that law is very kind of stupid i think in that if you allow one violation of copyright then someone else who's doing something more egregious could say well you blanketly acknowledged and allowed this action so therefore you, should, you have to automatically allow that one and it gets very stupid and drawn out but i think it's a short-sighted view to always look for control over anything else and if we are afraid of someone wanting action X to be allowed, therefore we have to disallow every other action. And I think it's short-sighted in the sense that you're looking at control versus growth, and that's a fine line. And growth, I think, should always trump anything else, especially when you're dealing with a fan base that's not expressly violating anything. Because my understanding is these festivals, they aren't charging for anything, correct? Yes, that's correct, yeah. Yeah, they're not charging for anything. So I think that destroys the legal argument because I think they're afraid of basically unauthorized conventions happening and people charging tickets and Warner Brothers not getting a cut of that, which I understand. But legally, you're not going to be able to conflate in a court, I don't think, a charge festival with a free gathering of fans. It's essentially an, a fan club gathering. Like, we had these long before the internet, howdy doody groups would get together in their neighborhood and talk about how much they love howdy doody, for goodness sake. And no one sued over yeah. that. So why is it? They're fan club? clubs. They just happen exactly. to be. They're fan clubs. They're ju they just happen to be fan clubs that are twenty thousand strong or more. Yes, <laughs> exactly. And as long as you're still a fan club operating without profit, it's not a danger to Warner Brothers. It's only free advertising. So I think yeah. it's, it's a short-sighted legal view, and they're sacrificing growth, or worse, they're taking the growth of fandom for granted. Mm -hmm. um, Definitely. 
one thing that's uh, that's really interesting to me and um it's kind of switching the switching sides so to speak um because obviously there, there are a lot of lot of things that uh, Warner Brothers is doing wrong um e- even though like the header said that legally they may be right but then again uh, copyright law and the way we understand or or interpret uh, copyright law is is really young i mean it it mm-hmm. it, it was born out driven mostly um today's interpretation was driven mostly by um the uh, the big music um companies in the yep. in the in the mid or early uh, 20th century um before that you know everybody borrowed from everybody nobody really cared um and i think i mentioned that uh, the whole concept of uh, originality only mattered to the romantics uh yeah. not not yeah. not before and not after nobody really cared like shakespeare uh stole left and right but what's interesting to me is that um we had like i um uh, i i think butterbore had had an awesome impact and and it should have been a lesson especially uh with fandom being so um interconnected and and scale and and scaled up in 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 the last 15 20 years think about um the comic cons think about all the events yep. where all these fandoms interact and they can learn from each other and and, and of course the rise of social media yeah and and be yep. empowered by by each other and at the same time um it's 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 weird uh that the ap article that we that we discussed last week um um it uh first of all it doesn't um uh, uh mention butter war which is weird um and secondly um the reaction from from these uh, uh harry potter festivals it's uh like they they are changing their theme it's still you know yeah. it's, it's like not harry potter it's it's wands and 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 magic or wands and wizards or or, or something or other but uh, that's precisely the wrong way to do it i mean i understand they try to survive they they try to have the event um that they spend uh, so much time and effort and energy and 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 even their own money um but uh but do you think it's um it's it's a good it's a good strategy to to do that and and kind of maybe try to gear up for a for a legal battle or a drawn out um uh thing uh or or would it be better to to stand their ground and and say to Warner Brothers that uh you know we have precedent we had we we've gone through this uh 15 20 years ago you lost them what makes you think when we ha- we are more uh communication savvy we are stronger we have better tools and uh, and we have we have something to to stand on a precedent uh what makes you think that uh, this is going to work uh in your favor yeah um i want to say first off i totally understand how scary it is to basically stare down the barrel of a legal gun and look at a major transnational multimedia company coming after you and how scary that is 
Um, before I found Alistair, before I started Potter War, my initial goal was I wanted to bring together the webmasters of the largest Harry Potter fan sites. And that was where the boycott started. And it was all run mostly by kids. And I started out with a group of about 10 of us. And one by one, all of them, their parents said, no way are you doing this because it's too scary and it's too risky. And I've never blamed any of them for backing out because it is scary. You are risking a hell of a lot. No one wants to get involved in a countersuit or go to spend thousands upon thousands on attorneys. So I totally understand the fear involved in it. Thankfully, my parents didn't care. They they trusted that we were on good legal ground. They trusted that we would do a good job fighting it and it would never go to court. And at least for us, it didn't. So we were lucky in that sense. But goodness, they sure threatened. So I totally understand the organizers of the festivals. A, wanting to continue to have the festival. So, because I think a lot of them, it was coming up pretty quick and it was easier to just go, okay, we'll change the name, but still get to have the fun and not lose the work that they put into it. I get that. But, and I'm not going to blame anyone for doing that ever. But I think in the long run, as a legal argument and a protection for the fans, I think it's absolutely the worst strategy long-term to give in and to say to Warner Brothers, okay, we just will take Harry Potter out of it. Because to me, it harkens back to the same way Warner Brothers went after the small sites first. It's testing the waters or how a shark will bump you to see what it'll get away with. And Warner Brothers was testing those little sites, bumping us to see could they take out the little ones. And if they could, they'd go after the big ones next. So now they're going after the festivals. They're, they're bumping them. They're seeing what they can get away with. And sure enough, they folded. So now what is Warner Brothers going to do next? And to me, that's always my concern. The fandom folded. We gave away a piece of our power. And where is it going to go next? And what else are we going to have to give up? Whereas if you pick a battle and you say, no, you're not coming past this line, you retain that power and you retain that fight and you retain your backbone. And it eventually protects everyone else. But that is a very tough hill to stand on and a very tough fight to have because you're one small group of fans or one small person standing up to the might of a gigantic corporation and all of their attorneys and all of their money. So it's it's a tough way to go either way. But for the sake of fandom and for the sake of fan participation, I would much rather stand my ground, name my festival Harry Potter World, and fight. But that's just my nature, I guess. Well, the, the the problem is though is I think fans have to realise that the, the sheer weight of numbers that they have gives them a greater power. Yeah. Uh, I I'm suddenly actually reminded of possibly the most random thing, but um, it's the end of a bug's life. <laughs> where it's but if you if you think about it the parallels are, are there yeah. so you've basically got this this one huge group and they're being pressured by a, a a smaller group of larger entities shall we say and and it takes it only takes one person to actually stand up and say hang on a minute you need us yeah and the problem here is you know that you need us that is, if the parallels are there, and if the entire fandom realised that their their numbers give them strength, then 
there would there would be literally no stopping them, and yeah. Warner Brothers would have to be, cap- capitulate to to their might of of, of uh, numbers and passion because <laughs> that many people being passionate about a single subject is just mind boggling. Yeah, and they they just wouldn't be able to stand against it. I agree. I think very much a lot a big part of this. And you see it with a lot of different franchises now of taking fandom for granted that they think the fans are so hooked and so passionate that the company can essentially do no wrong and the fans will always keep coming back for more. I think you can see that with how Disney's handling Star Wars right now. Um, You can see with all of these major franchises that they can just make any mistake they want and the fans will keep coming back. And it's up to the fans to remind the company no, you can't take us for granted. We won't be your doormat. We still are passionate about the product. We are not passionate about you. We're passionate about Harry Potter. We're not passionate about Warner Brothers. And I think yeah, fans, fans have to draw that line and work together and be the community that I know we are and stand up for each other and make that distinction and draw that line in the sand and say, no, Warner Brothers is not Harry Potter to us and you're not going to push us around. And I just think it's up to the fans to know that they're that strong and stand up for each other. Yeah, that's absolutely. That's kind of the that's kind of the 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 thing that uh, makes me possibly even more furious than than what uh, uh, Warner Brothers is doing is that um, when is the point when when fandom becomes not the underdog if if you know what i mean it's it's like we proved again and again that uh we have awesome power um it 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 it's a very basic business um uh principled customer is always right but even beyond that like the the power of fandom and 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 the things fans can achieve in the name of their passion like when brown coats uh, raised money for charity the whole business uh, uh model of omaze that's uh, <laughs> that's picking up and everybody is doing it and uh, and especially in the face of overwhelming um uh, evidence from 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 uh companies like marvel or or um Okay, so I'm I'm a Marvel fan, so um, and 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 like like uh, uh, now that uh, fans saved uh, the expense, um, the series, and it's it's going yep. to have a new home, and they did the same with uh, Lucifer, Brooklyn Nine Nine, um, and Lucifer, yeah, yeah. Um, so, like, and and I still feel that. Uh, fans still think so little of themselves or we think so little of ourselves it's like uh yeah it's a hobby it's okay you know we are passionate about it but we don't have we we have we have incredible power over these these huge corporations and uh we could stand our ground but uh i i'm not sure what's what what it will take to for us to to reach a new status quo I, that's a tough one i think a lot of it is recognizing not only the power of the fans but also the business argument we've got to make a better business argument to the companies to 
recognize our value. Mm-hmm. We really stressed with Potter War. It wasn't just we were throwing a fit or getting angry or telling them they shouldn't do that, but proving to them there was a better path to accomplish their goals that didn't involve trampling on fans, that they could make more money and be more successful with us rather than working against us. And I really think it boils down to understanding as a consumer that we're in control of where our money goes and we can choose to not give it to people who are, you know, trampling all over us. And we can say as fans, okay, if Warner Brothers is going to treat us like dirt, we're not going to give you any more of our money. And there's a lot of inherent power in that. Your fandom is a decision on your part to spend your hard-earned money on someone's creation. If that person is then going to turn around and persecute you, don't continue to support it. And I think with Lucifer, the expanse, you're proving a business case to the creators saying there is a market here. We will give you our money and support. So keep the show going. And I think fandom has to turn around and make that same money argument to Warner Brothers that your income, this market will disappear if you continue to mistreat us. Yeah, yeah. definitely. And it's it's also, it's, it's a very different business landscape. That's what I was uh, also thinking about is that uh, back then uh, during Quarter War, like you said, Heather, um, the, the movies were coming out. The, yeah. the merchandising was, was uh, kind of gearing up. And now it, 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 it feels a little bit uh, like um, we have an overabundance of, of things to be fans about. And, yes. and, uh, and it, it, it just gets, uh, it's, it's not as fresh, um, but it's also changing. Like uh, history is cyclical and, uh, and uh, it's also changing because we have all these new players like Netflix and Amazon, Amazon and, uh, and, and, and YouTube, especially that, that uh, who, who just spend uh, money and, and think in the long term, whereas all the old large corporations like Warner Brothers, um, they they don't uh, don't really see this power that we have with these new communications to like like the internet, and um, and it's going to be really interesting if we can just kind of weather until the breaking point, and and that's that's why I'm I'm so happy that uh, uh, you you came on and. Uh, and 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 told fans to, to you know stand up for ourselves because we have the power yeah we always had it yep every fan group has the power to in some ways dictate the way media is delivered to them how they want to engage in that media and how they want to participate in it and i think every company is there's going to be a struggle there between delivering content versus allowing someone to play in it and participate in it but that's a struggle that we absolutely need to have because we aren't just consumers anymore we very much democratize the whole content and media process where it's not just consume 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 we want to live in it we want to experiment with it and we want to participate in it and you look at all of the major fandoms in the landscape right now and the ones that make the most money are the ones that are the most participative the, mo- the ones that engage their fans the most and the ones that allow their fans to live and breathe 
and play in these make-believe universes. And I hope that businesses realize the big money is to be made in participating and engaging with fans rather than threatening them. And I hope fans realize they are a massive, massive, massive moneymaker and they absolutely have the right to stand up for themselves. Absolutely. I just want to go back a little bit to the to the very beginning of your story because that's that's I I think is is such a brilliant way to uh, to approach both fandom and uh, uh, promote creativity, like you said, and and uh, and I, I and I also think that the uh, the real mark of Harry Potter even though it's uh, it's a great book it's written brilliantly it, it uses language in a way that kind of compares to Tolkien even mm-hmm. um, and uh, and that that you you started the fandom turning the the passion of of new readers into into a creative outlet through um, through uh, an interactive process, and that that was, I think, a, a, a brilliant move. Not just because it, it it was an awesome idea, but also um, because it it created something that uh, uh, that cannot be targeted. Like you are not infringing on you know um, bootlegging movies. You are not uh, uh, photocopying books. Um, you are creating something new based on on something existing. And I think it would be it would be so great if if fans could uh, could look beyond um, buying the merchandise and and you know buying the movie ticket and going to the theme park and so on and so forth. Do that obviously because that's what supports directly um the 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 thing that you love but also try to find those creative outlets how can you make the thing you love yours because then you are both untouchable growing as a creative person and 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 just create create something that uh, corporations can't attack they they can attack anything that you know cosplaying or whatever but but they can't attack something that uh role plays as uh as a as a as a harry potter as as a journal journalist in in a harry potter world i think that was brilliant Mm -hmm. thank you absolutely it's incredible it really is and and we should you. you know we we need to see more of that that's also fun for the creators of of uh to to engage in like um with the expense i'm i'm so head first in into the expense um there is this youtube uh channel called space doc who uh, uh they, they they uh analyze sci-fi spaceships in 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 a, in a in a very detailed way and it's and it's awesome but they also had a had an official partnership with the writers of the expanse and the creators of the show and whatever is presented on that youtube channel is canon and and that that's that's so awesome because that's the that's the kind of collaboration that uh 
that's an that's that's an example for for everybody else. Yeah, and it's great that they're participating in that because allowing fans to get creative not only is a great outlet for people, but it enriches the overall universe that everyone's so passionate about and adds new facets to it that one creator couldn't ever do on their own. I think that's brilliant. Yeah. And and going off topic, um, but not really off topic. Going off topic on topic because this is a writing podcast after all um and you mentioned heather that you are also a writer so what kind of things that you write um before i mainly did journalism in short format but for the past two years i've been working on a novel um oh, it's, wow. it's been a lot of fun it's been so much fun my long-term goal when i set up the daily profit was I wanted to create that site, run it. I eventually wanted to expand it so that teachers could create uh, online newspapers based on fandom for their classrooms. And then after that, I wanted to write my own books. And back in, oh gosh, from the age of like 16 up until 2014, I kept trying and trying and trying to build that platform for teachers to create daily profits of their own based on whatever kids were into. And it just was not working. My help would always get in the way. And I finally just went, okay, the universe is telling me something. Let's just skip to step three <laughs> and I'll write my own book now. Um, and once I finally allowed myself to do that, I have had so much fun. Um, I'm working on a novel right now that's um, sort of young adult in the same sense that Harry Potter is, where it can be enjoyed by kids or adults. Hopefully, that's my goal. Um, and it's part science fiction part magical realism and part medical mystery. So it's been a lot of fun. Interesting mix. Sounds awesome. Thanks. Yes, indeed. Yeah, um, I, I, I've been having a lot of fun with it and trying to plan a universe that's, that's very open and that anybody could play in because obviously I'm very passionate about that and fan involvement and I'm hoping that I've created something that people can have some fun with. I was, I was just going to say that... Um, um, if if anybody is uh, is going to go the creative route, um, you know, just make sure don't make the same mistakes these corporations make. You know, play nice <laughs> and you know protect your protect your idea and world and and characters and story, but at the same time, you know, let someone else in in the sandbox as well because that's that's half the fun. So it's it's me. It's, it's all the fun. That was what I loved so much about running the Daily Profit was I set up the format and the sandbox that kids could play in. And my favorite thing about running that site was seeing how creative the kids were at coming up with all sorts of different angles I never possibly could have imagined. And when I was trying to build the platform for teachers, I kept telling every investor I met, I'm so excited to read articles from eight-year-olds about what they would do in like Super Mario's world or X-Men or anything. And like that was where the joy was for me. Um, so I hope if I'm able to get my book published that that'll be the fun part for that too. And seeing what people can bring to a sandbox that I've created and the different avenues and angles that they'll take it on that I never could have imagined. Yeah, indeed. Um, so certainly, I, I, as a, uh, an author myself, I've, I've, I can only uh, wish you the best of luck um, and loads of success with uh, with your goals, with your novel. Um, 
it sounds like something uh, quite unique in terms of uh, the, the the genre mixture you're going for there. And uh, from what you've said, it sounds like it's going to be something quite special. I think. Thank you. I hope so. I put a lot of work into it, but it's been so fun. <laughs> and where can our where can our listeners uh, found you? Um, what's what's your main outlet? What do you prefer? Where where do you like to pop up? Um, I'm most active on Twitter. Um, you can find me. I'm at Lover Says. I already uh, have. <laughs> Good. Me too. Me too. Me too. Um, I'm most active there. Um, I used to be much more active on my blog, which is heathershow.com, but I've kind of fallen out of that habit. Twitter is too addictive and I need to rebuild it. Uh, but again, uh, to me, Twitter, what I love about that versus a blog is that it's very interactive and I like seeing what people can bring to something and, you know, create together and Twitter is much more interactive. So that's, that's my favorite place to hang out. Same hand. Um, yeah. And, uh, just on that note, you know, um, uh, it, it was it was certainly my one of my passions to to kind of talk about writing because you know instead of writing um and then when <laughs> when 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 martin came on i just realized how much more how much smarter he is and it it just it was just uh, so much better than anything i could have put out by myself wait are you talking about me here because yeah that doesn't yeah. sound like me <laughs> no yeah you yeah Jesus, I've never heard myself described that way before, that's for sure. <laughs> well, uh, I, I can only say it's, it's uh, uh, so far it's been an honor to be a, a part of this podcast and um, it's also been an incredible honor having you with us, uh, Heather. Thank you very much. It was so much fun talking to you guys. Um, we will put everything from Potter War and uh, and and Heather's uh, contact uh, uh, in t- in the show notes. Um, follow her on Twitter, um, read her blog, um, follow any uh, everything she does because uh, because she's awesome. Oh, thank you. <laughs> I and, appreciate that. And uh, and that uh, I think concludes um, our show. What do you think, Martin? Yeah, it sounds like a pretty good place to, to close things down for, for this week. Um, yeah, I, I, I guess uh, it's not really much else to say. We've covered it. Uh, we've had a pretty uh, good discussion, I think. Uh, it kind of ties into my uh, little end comment last week uh, where uh, I, I mentioned that it's it's just when, you, when you're so passionate about something, you can't let passion for, for what you love be crushed and you've always got to fight for it because if you don't then it could end up uh, being taken away and um, it, Heather has, has shown us that when you when you fight for what you're passionate about you draw, draw in like-minded people and you can accomplish always fight for what you love absolutely that's why he is the smart one thank you for thank you for being with us thank you for listening to us um we will see you um and talk to you next week uh when we hopefully um get a little bit uh down and dirty with copyright law itself um we alluded to it um 
today, but uh, but we will uh, hopefully get into details next week. Um, talk to us on Twitter, please, at Ride Rings, or um, individually, um, all three of us. Um, we are um, we are the, the same in in the way that um, we let Twitter distract us with its <laughs> awesomeness. Um, yeah, I mean, what, also... we want to do actual writing. I mean, come on. Um, yeah, you know, 140 or 280 characters at a time. You can write a novel that way. <laughs> um, that's the only way you can actually write a novel, you know, 280 characters at a at time or one character. Oh, yes. Um, uh, and uh, you can drop us an email, uh, writerings.podcast at gmail.com. Um, subscribe, please, um, wherever uh, we are. Uh, everywhere where you would listen to podcasts except Google Play because reasons. Um, but yeah, leave us a review on, on Stitcher and uh, iTunes and what have you. Um, and uh, yeah, thank you for joining us and thank you Heather for, for making making time for us and, and uh, telling telling us awesome, awesome things. It was it was a real pleasure. Thank you. It very really much. was Thank you, everyone, and we will talk to you next week. Thank you. Goodbye. Bye.